he has done. Well, as you turn back to Acts chapter 2, I want to read, starting at verse 41 again. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed together were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their, pos- their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, If you mark your Bible or highlight you, you might notice some a key pronoun that keeps coming up. Those, they, everyone, they, those, they, there, them, they, there, there, those, they. There's no, no place for individual Christianity. It's a they. It's a we. We worship together we learn together we celebrate together Uh, we're in this together Uh, the 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 anchor is christ as hebrews talks about the foundation is is christ the the word is our is our guidepost and so that's what we rally around we don't rally around uh the things that we like right we don't rally around a color we don't rally around our hobbies. We don't rally around uh, our preferences. Uh, quite frankly, uh, our, our, we yield our preferences, and we'll, we'll get to that. We r- rally around the gospel. We rally around the word of God, and we've, we've talked about that. That's, uh, you know, when we talk about what is the church, was our membership? Well, it's, it's based on uh, the, the vital role of Scripture. Scripture is what guides us and lead us, leads us. But we do that together. We, we get a real sense of that just in looking at, at Acts 2. There's, there's no like individualism here. And so what is the essence then of, of our Christian life, our Christian living? Well, it's again back to the power of they. It's back to we, how, how we work through this together. We learned in 1 John, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So what is life? What is love? Love is somebody else laying down their life for us, for the they, right? That, that's the pattern that we see in Jesus. In Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness. Well, Sometimes, occasionally, or in today's world, every time, always, uh, today's, today's 
foundational philosophy, religion is me, I, do what I want to do, do what makes me happy. Uh, totally opposite of what we see in the scriptures, totally opposite what we see as the pattern of Christ who says, do nothing, absolutely nothing from selfishness. And I love the empty conceit. Your, your conceit, your arrogance, what you think you're good or bragging about is empty. It, it's shallow. You know, I, I think of like the old, you know, jars of, of, you know, that you would maybe stash your money in, right? And you think you've been putting in that jar for years. You think that in that jar, you know, if you open up the, you know, the old Folgers can, right? It's just going to be, you know, filled and loaded. And, and what, what it's saying there, it's empty. You, you think you've done something. You think you've accomplished something. It, it's an empty conceit. Instead, with a humility of mind, humbling yourself. Again, the idea of humble as that idea of, you know, you take the knee, you bow the head before the person in front of you. You're humble before them. So you do nothing from selfishness or an empty conceit. Instead, with the humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. And that was the pattern of Christ. And how do we see that pattern? He laid his life down for us. Once again, the cross becomes not just a symbol, but a, an actual act. So when we think about civilizations, right? When we think about culture, when we think about the idea of, well, how do we, how do we live together? I think of the Mayflower. So right before, you know, when the Mayflower, they're getting ready to land and they realize, hey, we have to come up with a, a, a compact. Well, we're all going to agree to live together here. And so, yeah, certainly you had the pilgrims and, and that group, and that was a church group and a Christian family group. But you also had just non-believers on board. You know, those, those construction guys were on board with them and, you know, the builders. And, and it's like, hey, when we get off this ship, we have to, you know, live in a civilization here. We have to have laws and, and rules. And so they created the Mayflower Compact, which was, again, a forerunner, a forerunner of our Constitution. In order for people and mankind to live together, to have peace and harmony in real community, they have to have a foundational belief system. Well, for us, obviously, that's the scripture. But that's not anything new. You know, the idea of living with no laws, with no structure, well, we have a name for that, right? We call that anarchy. Uh, we had a little, a little vision of what that looks like, which is ironic because even in anarchy there's organization in anarchy right so when you look at seattle and they decide hey we're smarter than everybody else we'll start Chaz, we'll start chop right and we'll just have this community of you know and it's like well within the community of anarchy and non-order they still have their rules and guidelines of course and so when we talk about church when we talk about membership in this this company of people or the society um well, we have to have an anchor for that. Last week we talked about in, in Hebrews 10.24, let us 
You know, don't neglect the gathering. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. We're, we're supposed to stimulate each other to what? Well, to love and good deeds. So we don't just come here. It's not just like, well, don't forsake the gathering. You just got to go to church. Just go to church. Just be pretty, sing some songs, go to church. Good enough, right? No, there's an exhortation there. You're called to come to give. One of the, the bad parts of modern church and Christianity is people go to church to take. They go to church to get. They go to church to be served. This is completely opposite of what the scriptures say. You go to church to give. You have a spiritual gift to share, to give, to use. You come to church to love and to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. <clears throat> okay, well, what does that look like? Well, John 13, turn with me to John 13. Should turn with me to passages. John 13, beginning at verse 34, says, here's a new commandment. Remember, <clears throat> the Old Testament is under the umbrella of the Old Covenant, which is the law of Moses. Here's the rules. Here's the laws. You got to keep the law. The New Testament with the burial or the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ ushers in the new covenant. So when we're reading the Gospels here, in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're right in the heart of the transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. And so here in, in verse 34 says, Oh, here's the, a new covenant that I will give you. So here it is. Here's... God's law. Here's Jesus laying and resetting the law. Um, remember in, in the Old Testament in Genesis, how harsh and cruel God was when, when he laid down the law and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Remember that one? Well, th this is kind of similar to that. Okay, here's the new covenant. You guys ready? I know you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. I know you're kind of familiar with the Levitical law. Here's the new one that you love one another. <laughs> love one another. Even as I have loved you again, Christ is the Christ is, is the goal. We're not the goal, right? We're together, we're in it together, but we're, we're not the, the, the standard. It's Christ who's the standard. You're to love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also one love one another. And I love this part. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our, our testimony, our, our preaching, our evangelism is our love for one another. Do you guys get that? Our, our, our evangelism begins with our love for each other. 
why would anybody want Christianity? Why would anybody want that program when, when the Christians are fighting and at strife and at odds with one another? What's the difference, right? Well, no, we're supposed to be different. People are supposed to see our love for one another and then know there's something different about those people. Those people are like that guy, Jesus. They're, they're his disciples. So again, our love for one another isn't just like some organizational club meeting group that you know rallies around a certain topic that they like. No, it still focuses back on Christ. And so today we want to look at, well, okay, so if love is this, this anchor for us, well, can, how does that work? How, how do we do that? What does it look like, right? Well, I think we can look at it as, by looking at the one another's. We're called to do a lot for one another. There's easily over 50 different examples of how we uh, love one another. And so we'll go through about 40 of them, okay? Uh, so point one, just kidding. Um, I was going to say only 15. We're going to look at five, okay? We'll look at five uh, ways to love one another. There are a lot more. There are a lot more, but we want to anchor on, on five easy ones, right? Begins with the first one, serve one another. Second one is give preference to one another. Third one is to bear one another's burdens. Fourth, edify one another. And then finally, pray for one another. So the first one we'll look at is this idea of to serve one another, to serve. Serve how, how do we define serve? Well, it's the idea of distributing or, or giving out. Um, to, to deliver, dole out work. We, we have some different um, ways that we use serve. One is just in, in, in a person, right? We, we would call a person who is a servant or a slave in the New Testament. Uh, it comes from the word doulos which has more of that idea of a slave. We, we don't like that term, right? We, we, when we think slave, we, we, see, we see black and white immediately. We, we rush to that. And it's like, that's, that's not where the foundation of, of the idea of slave comes from. Slavery has been around since the beginning of time with all different cultures and races and nationalities, people who conquered other people enslaved them. But unlike the idea that we would have in 20th, 19th, 20th century slavery, especially in the Americas, well, they were, they were more like servants. And so the idea of these servants and you would be conquered by Rome, right? And you would become a, a, a servant to Rome. You'd be a, a, a slave and a servant to Rome, but you would have freedom. You would have autonomy. You would run the business of somebody. We saw an example of that with Joseph. When Joseph was a slave in Egypt, he was you know, running the house of Potiphar. Joseph was running the country of Egypt as a slave. And he couldn't just get up and go and go back home. Why? He was a slave. Okay. And so the idea of, of slavery where we like to shut it off because we don't like it, 
But in the scriptures, we're actually called to be servants for Christ. So, so it's not in whole a horrible term. In fact, we need to get our minds wrapped around the, the aspect of humbling ourselves to the point of servanthood for Christ and one another. Um, we use service or serve in, in, in the military, right? I'm going to go serve my country. That's, that's a, a phrase we would hear all the time. And part of that service is that, that duty and that honor, great duty, great honor in serving and ultimately being willing to lay down your life for a whole nation and a whole people that you've never met before. That's how you serve. Um, paying the ultimate price, as we've talked about before. I think of sports. Sports uses serve all the time. And in fact, there's a lot of sports that, you know, that's how you initiate action. It's how you, uh, you begin is you serve, right? Tennis, they are going to serve. And so when we think of serve, it's again this idea of, of, of a servant, somebody who sacrificially gives, who does this in their, their role, their duty, and it's how we act, how we move forward. If you don't serve in the game, there's no game, right? Just imagine two people playing tennis and they just like stare at each other. Right? Ah, I'm going to fake serve, right? And nothing happens. So, so it's action. Turn with me to Galatians 5. Well, what is this action? Galatians 5, um, beginning at verse 13. Galatians 5, 13. <clears throat> For you were called, so believers, Christians, church, you were called to freedom. Um, Christ came to give life. He came to give life abundantly. He didn't, he didn't come to enslave and entrap us, but to give us life as bondservants. What does that look like? For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Your freedom that Christ has given you is not for yourself. You're, you're not supposed to take this freedom and just think, okay, how can I use this freedom for me? How do I serve me in this freedom? No, your freedom is supposed to give you opportunity to love. How? By serving one another. Not just one person, right? Uh, the scriptures talk about that, you know, treating uh, the wealthy, treating people who are famous better than others. No, we serve one another. We serve all, everyone. It's inclusive. For the whole law, back to that law of love, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall serve your neighbor as yourself. We, we see love here, but we know by the context of this, how are we loving thy neighbor? By serving our neighbor. Well, we like to say we 
love our neighbor, but if you don't serve them, if you haven't started the action of the serve, you're not in the game. You're, 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 you're just staring at your neighbor, right? And so we're called as, as a church family to, to serve one another. That's how we display. That's how we put our, our love on display. And then others would see that love, scratch their head a little bit and go, what's different about those people? Those people, they, they, they love people by serving. Serving is not a popular thing in America because it's selfless. Selfishness is popular. Everything about what we do in America, independence, freedom, entrepreneurialism, right? is like me, 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 me. And we'll praise and promote and, and, and brag about those people all day long. We don't talk a lot about people who serve, serve, serve. We don't put their names on buildings. We don't make statues of them. Um, but in the church, we're, we're, we're supposed to have a better understanding of what service means. Turn with me to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter um, chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. So, in obedience to the truth, in obedience to the Scripture, in obedience to what the the gospel means in obedience to what genuine, true Christianity is. Purify your souls with a sincere love. And again, here's that word love that's so easy to throw out, right? Uh, the hippies loved, you know, just, you know, you know, stealing the word love, love everybody, love, love. What does it mean? I guess it meant, you know, getting high in the park. You know, that's what love was. No, that's not love. Uh, love isn't like the antithesis of war. Okay, love here, a sincere love, a real love, a genuine love, not a fake love, a genuine love. The love of the brethren, brethren is fervent love, devoted love for one another from the heart. Why? For you have been born again. You're not that old, selfish, stingy, greedy, arrogant, prideful person any longer. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been born again. Not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. And so as, as a church, as family members, we're called to serve one another fervently being devoted. What are you devoted to? What are you committed to in this life? Family, right? You're committed to doing whatever it takes for your flesh and blood. We're family. We're now a part of the family of Christ. We're considered brothers and sisters. We'll get to that in a second. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, take tender care of those who are weak. Take tender care. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind. Uh, 
tender-hearted, forgiving. I like that word tender-hearted because it's not a word or a phrase that I grew up with. It's not something that I ever thought about. Like, here's a goal in my life. I want to be tender-hearted. Um, that, that's, that's just, you know, my, you know, my love language is, you know, you know, I, I told my boys is, is wrestling and fighting, you know, tender-hearted, eh, you know, that ain't me, that ain't pain, you know? And, and so I need to conform myself to the scriptures, to serving others by changing me. Um, and this idea of tender hearted then is like, that's something I have to actively work on. What does it mean? It means soften your heart, soften it. And so I have to think about it. I have to pray about it. I have to work at that. Why? In order to serve other people, I have to be soft. I can't be hard. I can't be, you know, you know, in, in a, in, in a sports room, just, you know, fight your way through it, you know? No, it's be kind, be tender-hearted. As an indentured servant, as members together, we have a duty um, to distribute service to each other. That, 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 that's something that should be a desire of our hearts is how we come here and not just on Sundays, but how we're going to serve one another. The second aspect is in order to serve, we have to give preference. In order to serve, we have to give preference to one another. What's preference? It's that idea of choosing, making a choice to pick somebody else, right? So if you lined everybody up and we're getting ready to play kickball and you were going to you know, choose your ultimate kickball team, you're giving preference to the better players over the lesser players. Well, we're called to prefer others again above ourselves, because what we like to do is pick ourselves for everything. Um, I don't want to pick on my nieces and nephews, but yesterday, you know, we're, they had a special, you know, soda drink. It was strawberry carbonated something delicious ice cold and so they have three little kids you know 10 8 6 and so you know dad can we have some of this drink and so it's like sure well as they're pouring out the three cups to share the can I mean it was all the kids are like like eye level on this thing right and you know one of them is like no no I, I need more so dad pours a little bit more and then the girl on the side, no, no, I don't have enough. So, and it's, it was hilarious. It's like, you know, it's like a, a, a science lab levels, you know, that maybe that's what we need. We need the, the cups that have the, the measuring lines on them, you know, in order so that you, and I mean, all three of them, like little eagles, you know, I mean, God forbid one of them goes, that's okay. Whatever you give me, dad, I'll take it. It's okay. You know what? You don't have to give me anything. Give it to my brother and sister. <laughs> um, yeah. If we, if we really wanted to have fun, we would say winner gets all. 
and we would see how there would be no preference, no favor um, for the other. Because, and again, that's their, their, their sin nature, their greedy little hearts, you know, that, that want what they want for themselves first, and we're like them too. We're just more sly about it, right? We're, 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 no, no, I'll get you your own. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and get your, your own. So you get the whole thing. What you should say is, I want my own. I'm going to go get my whole thing. So here's your whole thing. Here's my whole thing. I didn't really prefer anybody. I preferred myself. Um, preference is a hard thing. You have to choose to prefer. In Romans uh, 12.10, turn with me to Romans 12.10. Say says this be devoted to one another how in brotherly love like family okay like family give preference to one another and i like this in honor we we can externally do a lot of things that might be the right thing to do to share right? But are you doing it in honor? Are you doing it with honor? The idea of honor there is with, with true integrity. Thinking of other people, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with the humility of mind regarding other people as more important yourself isn't easy. It's not easy. That's why we have to be told what to do it and how to do it and over and over again because it's not easy it's not easy because it does go against our flesh it does go against our sin nature and i'm not talking about five-year-olds i'm talking about us and, and so we have to work hard to give preference to one another honorably honorably with honor that again that means not with just the the facade of preference here's your full soda and i go get my own but actually in in reality in truth um i love proverbs 17 14. Uh, proverbs 17 14 says this let me get there for you I love the way it's laid out here. 1714. The beginning of strife. So when you don't give preference to someone else, you don't give preferential treatment. Well, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. The picture here is, you know, you picture the Hoover Dam, right? And it's like, well, you know, the beginning of a quarrel, the beginning of a quarrel, beginning of strife is, well, the, the crack is not thinking of other people. And it may seem small and it may seem minor, not giving preference to somebody else. But it's actually the beginning of what's going to, break out and so that little crack 
turns into a big hole, turns into the whole dam just bursting forward. And so again, we have to guard and protect um, ourselves from, from our selfishness and our wickedness um, before it gets to the point where, where that little tiny little non-preferential treatment leads to something where, well, at the end of the day, we're, we're all just, we're, we're here putting on kind of a good, a good show. But at the end of the day, we're all little cracks. We're all selfish egotists looking for our own way. And at the end of the day, the elbows are sharp and pointy and um, it's just a matter of time. Romans 12, 10 says, no, with genuine affection. Genuine affection with honor, with honor. I love that, that, that phrase, with honor. Romans 12, 18, 16 continues to go on and say that we're called to live in harmony. In harmony, not just get through it, but actual harmony of serving one another by giving preferential treatment. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, we're to cheerfully share. Were, were, were you amazed at in Acts 2? Uh, go back to Acts 2. And maybe it's because we're familiar with it. Maybe it's because we read fast and think slow. Um, but did you pick up on, the, on what these guys were doing? Those who believed were selling their property and their possessions, their property and their stuff, and were sharing them with anyone who might have need. Do you know how crazy that is? You think owning a house or property is a big deal now? Look, you, you cannot be a homeowner that's fine. There's no problem with that. You may have more money than anybody in the room and not own a home. But in this day and age, there's two people in the world, homeowners and slaves, homeowners and servants. And so if you think that, well, it's no big deal. They have pro owning property was never as a big, much of a big deal as it was in this time period. And they're selling it? I, I, I can't even fathom that. I mean, you, you have to have a whole lot, right? To like sell land, property, houses, to just like feel like you can give it away. Um, all the people that I've read about or studied or know about that are multimillionaires, they don't give stuff away. And yet here, these are just normal people. That's the extent of their preferential treatment. Uh, I'm, I'm in awe of this concept. It's an amazing thing. And it wasn't that they were communistic. They owned their stuff. They had their businesses. They had their land, but they were willing to share it at their discretion. That was their option, their choice, but they wanted to do it. They didn't have to be provoked. Nobody told them to do this. They just saw needs and said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. It's uh, not, not me 
but we type of attitude. As members, we choose to give preference to others. Well, the third point here is we, we're called to bear one another's burdens. The idea of bearing burdens is the idea of, of carrying the weight, carrying the load. You, you, you got to picture something that's heavy, something that's hard, right? Something that, 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 that takes strenuous activity. And so you, you can just picture of, you know, like, you know, say a, you know, a hundred pound woman trying to carry, you know, two big water buckets on a pole, right? And the, she can barely get the thing up an inch and just kind of stack. And it's like, no, look, I'm going to lift that and carry that burden for you. Um, that's the picture. That's the idea. Uh, turn back with me to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, beginning at verse 1. Brethren, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass. I don't know about you guys, but knowing of people's sin, hearing of people's sin, and catching people in sin. It's like, how often do you actually catch somebody in the middle of sin, right? Even if you catch them in the middle of their sin, you who are spiritual, restore them. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, not with pride, not with ego, not with arrogance, not with, I'm better than you, not as an authoritarian, not as a legalist. In gentleness, you catch them in sin. My job, my goal is to restore them right? Each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted to, verse 2, bear one another's burdens as thus fulfills the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love one another. How do we love one another? By serving one another. How do we serve one another? By bearing one another's burdens. What kind of burdens do you ask? Even in sin. Sin is a burden. Sin is a struggle. And so we're, we're called to help one another, to bear one another, not just in distress or pain or emotions or, you know, times where we're down, but even and even including sinful activities that you've chosen to do yourself. We don't say, well, you know what? He, he, he made his bed. He can lie in it, right? That kind of attitude. And you know what? We're called as, as family. We're called as church family members to, to come alongside and, and lift the buckets. To ease that. You know what? Sin creates separation. Sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks hearts. Sin causes distress. Sin causes sadness. Sin has a ripple effect that almost immobilizes people. That's why it's such a great tactic by Satan to get you to think that sin actually feels good for 20 seconds, where for 20 years you have a ramification of that sin. And then you bear the burden, you carry the weight of that by yourself. This is why we see so many people then turning to other resources to wipe away the memory not just of losing your job we get we get past that we get past 
breaking things that we love, right? We get past that. What really lingers on burdens like sin. And so we're called, and part of what we do together is we lift those burdens. So 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we encourage one another. Yeah, I was like that too. We, we were like that too. We were once that way, but now we're new creatures in Christ. Now we are, 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 are born again, right? And so we build each other up. We strengthen one another. We need one another. It, it's important for us to come alongside each other and go, you know what? Um, I've done some pretty bad things, but man, that guy's worse than me. And he's doing all right. He's actually doing great. If he can do it, I can do it. And somebody on the other side's like, hey, I've done way worse than you. You know what? The Lord has transformed me. The Lord has, has, has made me new again. He can do the same with you. We encourage one another this way. So why the, idea, the whole idea of, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around Christians. They're judgmental, right? It's not a biblical concept to be judgmental. We call sin out. Yeah, you know, when I see my nieces or nephew, you know, walking toward the fire, I'm going to tell them to stop. Just like we would tell each other to stop sinning, to repent. There's ramifications, there's consequences to unrepentant sin. But that's done in love. It's done in a spirit of gentleness. It's done to restore. Our job's not to, to judge and punish. That's God's job, not my job. My, my job is, is, you know, to be like, you know, the, you know, the fireman that comes in, just puts out the fire. I don't care who started it, how it started. I just want the fire out. Um, and so we encourage one another. Part of that is Ephesians 4.32 is by forgiving one another. It's really hard for us to bear one another's burdens when we think we're better than other people, right? Or where we suppress them, when we keep them kind of in their place. This is part of the reason why forgiving is so vital and so important. That person can't move forward if they're not forgiven. They're continuing to carry the burden and hold the baggage. They need to be able to put that baggage aside, repent and be restored and move forward. And so instead of passing judgment, Romans 13, 8, we comfort them. We bring comfort. There's a, an old book that um, is by Philip Yancey and there was a gal and she had grown up in a Christian home and she left home you know, as a teenager and she wanted to go to Hollywood and be a movie star and all that stuff and found herself on the wrong path. And somebody came to her and said, you know what you need to do? You need to go to church. And she looked at, that, at them with all sincerity and said, why would I go there? They would just judge me there. And that's the picture that the world has of the church. The world is supposed to see our love for one another and then see Christ. See, nobody hates Jesus. 
There's nothing to hate about Jesus. They hate us. They hate our attitude. They hate our hypocrisy. They love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. That's why everybody tries to steal a piece of him, right? The, the pieces that they love and like. Um, so as members, we carry the weight of others. Fourth, we see that we're called to edify, edify one another. Uh, again, we don't just allow you to keep living the way you are. It'd be like a coach watching a guy strike out every time and not coaching him up. Ah, it's okay. He's having fun. Nobody has fun striking out every time. I've seen enough kids playing sports. Nobody has fun not being any good. That's not fun. The, you can maybe not have a scoreboard. They know they're not doing well. Okay, you can't lie to them. So we coach them up. Why don't you make this adjustment? Why don't you try this? Why don't you practice that so that you can do better? It's, it's not to hurt them. It's what I love about the relationship of a coach and a player is the whole point and purpose is, is to help them, not to put them down. No, no coach wants to put their player down to the point that the player doesn't perform. You know who suffers the most from players not performing? Coaches. So coaches have every desire and every, everything within them is to get their team to get better. Well, that should be our attitude to edify is the idea of uplifting to, towards improvement. How? By educating and teaching. Uh, going back to Romans 14. Romans 14, beginning at verse 18. Romans 14, 18 says, For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. So we see here this idea of, of edification, this idea of, look, we're to pursue things that make for peace. We're, we're to help one another. But, but keep this in mind. There are some things that, that you think are wrong, but they're not. They're, they're not. They're wrong for you. And so, you know what? You don't do that. And I will encourage you and edify you and teach you not to do those things. Um, we definitely have things that we're called not to do. You should not get drunk. Very, very clear in the scriptures over and over and over again. Now, the issue of drinking at all well, that becomes upon your own conviction. And so we can help teach each other. We can help edify one another to pursue godly living. But that's what we do. Even when 
there's what we what we might consider a quote-unquote gray area we still help we still coach we still encourage one another that's what we're called to do we're called to do this the idea of thou shalt not judge again is an idea of don't condemn people right you you have no no reason to condemn people but even more importantly it has the idea of don't call people out for things that you do right things that you're guilty of doing in fact you're calling somebody out for their speck when you're a log so so that's the idea of don't judge but we're called as a church family in humility right even if you catch them in sin galatians 6 1 to restore them to restore them that's what edification is edification is the process not of tearing down but building up and the way we build up is by coaching by teaching by correction by reproof by training in righteousness come as you are but don't leave the same right come as you are fine but you know what repent do better and how can we do that well we can help each other we know each other well, you know each other's little quirks and things and that's like eh, you need to uh, do a little better at that area right you don't do it in front of everybody you do it one-on-one -on -one in private in love in love in kindness in kindness in gentleness okay the goal isn't to make you look good um, that's not the goal well finally we see here and, and again we could write books on on praying but finally, church family members, do you pray for one another? Two things that I've done to improve my prayer life. One was I started reading beginning in Genesis and just read through, you know, the whole Bible and looked and studied at real prayers by real people and, and, and just had a better understanding of what prayer was. And, and by doing that, you know, my, uh, my prayer life, grew and expanded and was richer. But one of the other things that I did was my list start started, my prayer list started with other people. And, it, and, and I'm sure there's been times for you, there's been times for me, it's like where, you know, you feel like your prayer life is struggling and what do I pray about, how I pray. You start visualizing the people that you know in your family, in the church, and you start praying for them, you will not have enough time to pray. Um, but praying for one another, we, we call it intercessory prayer. We see this throughout the scriptures all the time. And maybe it's because it's, you know, men like Elijah. Maybe it's because it's, you know, Abraham, you know, Father Abraham or Moses, you know, or the weeping prophet Jeremiah. And it's like, well, these guys are... You know, they're prophets, you know, so it's okay for them to pray for other people and for other nations. I'm just, you know, me. No, we can pray for others. We need to pray for others. Turn with me to James, uh, James chapter 5. I love James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. So what do we pray for? How do we pray? Is anyone among you suffering? Anybody suffering? 
Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, let him sing praises. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will for be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured forth, and the earth proceeded its fruit. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May I suggest that that begins by praying for others, by having a, a heart and eyes that looks and cares about brothers and sisters within the body of Christ that actually would know what's going on in your life, whether it's sick or suffering or job loss or whatever it is, even to the point of somebody who is not following the Lord and to be devoted beginning with prayer and praying for others. And then to the point of even if caught in a trespass, in gentleness and kindness, restoring them. What a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to pray for one another, not a duty. It's a privilege. What an honor. And to think that your prayer, that an effective prayer actually has effect. What an amazing thing. I'm not very good with words. I'm shy. I don't know what to do. I don't. Pray. Pray, pray for one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for...